Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Merry Christmas. We're almost there. I'll tell you what, let me describe this week and then what I have planned basically for next week because I'm going to take next week off. Um, so for basically this week, I'll have, of course, Monday's episode, the one you're listening to now. There will be one for Wednesday and then one for Friday. Friday will be the last episode, certainly through, I believe, let's see, certainly into the new year. And then my plan is is to basically come back on Wednesday, the first Wednesday in January with a new episode. So going to take about a week, week and a half off here, and then I'll be back. There may be some more videos periodically throughout. So again, feel free and bounce over to my Rumble channel and uh, BitChute channel to check those out if you're interested. Also, I'm going to toss up one more Substack, I think, probably by the end of this week. And I'm starting to put it together a little bit, and it specifically has to do with the electronic medical systems that were used within hospitals by nurses and, of course, doctors to plug in the VAC status or injuries and things of that nature from their patients. And again, a lot of this stems from a couple of testimonies from Dr. Mackis, which I played in the last episode on Friday, from those two very specific nurses who were talking about the EPIC system, E-P-I-C, and how, again, in using their system, they didn't have the ability to include whether or not the individual was jabbed or not. In particular, if they were jabbed, they couldn't say that they were jabbed, and that's why they had the injury that they had. I also, again, was communicating with Kim Carter recently, and I asked her a very similar question regarding all of that, and I'll include the information that she provided me in the substack also, but just wanted to make mention of that, that I'll be putting that one out probably by the end of this week if I can get it together in time, and there you go. Okay, over the weekend, however, I did write another substack. I've been crushing them here this <laughs> this month. Normally, I just do one, but I felt compelled to write this one too. The last one, of course, was about the Jewish lobby and their control over campuses and student organizations and things of that nature, which, by the way, the movie The Lobby itself, I have all four parts together in a you know a three plus hour video, and you can check that out on my on my two video streaming platforms, of course, on BitChute and Rumble also, if you're interested in watching that. It's beyond overwhelming. But the most recent substack that I put up here was on December 15th, and it's titled The New Wave of Jewish World War II Propaganda for Generation Z and Generation Alpha, an ever-present Hollywood playbook to, in, to indoctrinate generations across time. Um, it's lengthy, but I but it's worth it. And again, if if you listen to it with the uh, the female robot on the Substack app, it's a it's a little bit quicker, perhaps. But there's plenty of visuals I think that are worth seeing. And again, you know, th this is one of those things that is really ramping up. This is not something that's going away. It's not something that's going to go away. It seems like the powers that be are, are doing whatever they can to consistently rewrite history. And they use World War II basically as their, as their whipping post. And they go back to that on a constant basis and just keep beating that, that dead horse as much as humanly possible. The truth about most wars is out there. So again, for people to just consistently believe this one-sided stuff where you know the Americans were the good guys and we got rid of the bad guys, 
anybody believing that in this day and age has is, is lost the plot. It's really sad. But you have to keep in mind, they have to keep doing this. And by they, of course, we know who, who I'm talking about. But, you know, the, the, the Hollywood individuals, most of which, again, are, are Jewish and are funded by China in many cases, these individuals have got to keep playing this old saw over and over again. Because they want the new generations. They want the children of my generation to believe these lies. They want that to be so ingrained in them that they end up not only watching the movies, but buying the video games and playing the video games and believing that, you know, th those particular storylines also. And it's beyond tiring. But again, with all of the streaming platforms that exist now, they're, they're just bombarding numerous past generations, current generations with more and more World War II propaganda. So I lay all of it out the best that I can uh, in that particular Substack article. So bounce over to the theamericanclassroom.substack.com and check that out if you're interested. Okay, here's what I have for this episode. I've got some rather interesting things. This may be a little lengthy, but we'll see. Um, I have some education things that I want to bring up and two particular school boards that you've heard me reference numerous times in the past. And I watched both of them this past week. One, of course, is the local one where I live, and then the other one has to do with Westerville City Schools, where my niece and nephew go in the Columbus, Ohio area. And I, again, you can't help but watch these and, and just see the most brainwashed human beings on the face of the planet. It truly is sad. And they have no idea what they're doing. And they also have, which I'm going to play a little bit of audio from one of them. You have, uh, it, it's it's beyond disgusting just how much they detest homeschooling families, and they really do. And one of the board members for the Westerville City Schools basically spits right in the face of of anyone who is homeschooling their children. And as you've heard me say before, these politicians are using the child abuse angle in an effort to make it sound like homeschooling families are dangerous and that what goes on within homeschooling families needs to have government oversight. And what's recently occurred here in the state of Ohio is a number of bills are on Governor DeWine's desk for him to sign that basically free up the family to do what they want to do with their own children. And that, of course, is the way that it should be. You know, these districts that, that have all of these policies and all these procedures and all this curriculum, most of which isn't even real, what they're doing, which I'm going to highlight a little bit later, is they're, they're, they're burying the degeneracy deeper in their own curriculum and giving it different words and different names in order to, again, sidestep all the elimination of the DEI gay stuff. These political games that these school boards play are not what a homeschooling family ever has to deal with. But the, the very nefarious aspect of all of this is that anytime you hear a politician elude to child abuse or, or parental neglect toward the child, or again, child neglect, however you want to phrase it from whatever angle you want to look at it, there, any time that they use that, basically, they're using it as an excuse to try to get more government oversight to the point where they would actually view it as being beneficial to have government knock on the door 
of a, of a homeschooling family show up, sit down on their couch, interview the child, interview you as parents, have you proved to this outside government source what you're teaching, how you're teaching it, how frequently the child is learning, so to speak? You know, are they dressed? Do they look clean? And then before you know it, you have government intruding on every single aspect of the family, and then we know what ends up happening after that. CPS is side by side with whatever government agency shows up, if they're not the ones that are there to do it anyway. And then you have a total police state. Now, again, everything that I said, a board member would say, no, that's not what we want. Well, that person is an idiot then because they don't know how far that rabbit hole goes. They don't understand, even to this day, in particular after the last three plus years, that if you give government an inch, they take a mile and then they stomp on your throat. That's what happens every single time. It can't get clearer, but I'll bring up more specific examples as to what these districts are doing and, of course, a lot of their wasteful spending, in particular in the local school district where I live. So let me get into this first. The first education story I have, and this is just terrible, but it pretty much is par for the course, uh, certainly with some of these environments. There might be some audio with this, so bear with me, but this is from fox4kc.com. It is titled, Two Students Were Victims of a Sex Ring at Center High School, Attorneys Say. Now, this is Kansas City, Missouri, and as it turns out, even teachers were involved in this, or teachers' aides, and then there was hush money paid back and forth uh, between these particular parties in an effort to, again, keep people quiet, and then the whole thing got caught. So, here's some audio with this. Give this a listen in 3, 2, 1. A sex ring atop Kansas City Center High School involving students, employees, and cash. That's the allegation from an attorney representing two students. I'm John Holt. I'm Lauren Halifax. That attorney says these students are the victims. Box Wars' Linda Wager joins us with the details now. Linda? Center High School notified parents last month that there was a problem involving some employees and students, and it was being investigated. But until now, no one knew exactly what the problem was. <laughs> This is big. We believe that this was a sex ring going on at Center High School. Attorney Monica Tanzi represents two high school students who she says were used repeatedly for sex by school employees. Among the proof they provided her were photos of an employee, a paraprofessional, in various stages of undress. But what happened to students was worse than just photos. There were numerous sex acts going on that students were being solicited for sex. Tansy said the sex ring started operating in April of last school year and continued through September, stopping only after a counselor who one of the students confided in contacted authorities. Casey Police and the Children's Division of the State Department of Social Services are investigating. We know that there was hush money paid to students so that they would not come forward. But two of the students did come forward and ask Tansy's law firm to help. She said she's not identifying the students to protect them from possible harassment. Tansy said she's concerned there might be more victims out there. Center High School would not talk to Fox 4. It referred us to this statement it released late last month to parents, stating that two staffers have been placed on leave 
following allegations of inappropriate behavior with a student. The school district also promised to share additional information with parents and students as it becomes available. Tansy told us the two staffers were paraprofessionals, but she believes the problem goes deeper than those two employees. Tansy said school administrators and teachers should have been aware of the problems because one of the paras had an open social media page that she said depicted troubling behavior, including images of partial undress and discussions of sexual activities, one of those discussions recorded in what appears to be a classroom. We want to just make sure, you know, ultimately that there is a full and complete investigation. Now, this isn't the first time the high school has investigated a claim of inappropriate behavior by its staff. Last year, a teacher from Center High School was placed on administrative leave after being accused of sending inappropriate messages to students. Now, I don't know a lot, but I do know this. If the school district itself is the one conducting the investigation, we have a pretty good idea as to what's going to happen. It's going to be minimized as much as humanly possible. They'll probably fire the staff members that they already have on paid administrative leave. There might be an apology letter. They'll say, we had no idea. We're so glad that the people came forward and blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, and then that'll be it. The thing, again, that never really happens within these environments is the administration isn't held accountable for not knowing that such a thing was taking place. I'm not saying that they can't hide it from administration. They, they probably can. And much of it, of course, is very secret, and it takes place online over text messages between parties, and it's not that everybody would know. However, if you have a building like this where such sex crimes have occurred before, that's an administrative awareness problem. That means that the administration isn't speaking up about this to the faculty during faculty meetings. They're not saying, listen, you're not here to screw kids. <laughs> I mean, the fact that that has to be said is, is alarming, but it has to be said. Again, this is one of the reasons why I would never be an administrator, because I wouldn't make it past the first day. Someone would file a complaint after the very first day with all of the meetings, because I would say things like this to the entire faculty. If you're here to screw and have sex with kids, you need to, you need to quit right now and leave and get your head examined and check yourself into an institution. If you're here to break the law, if you're here to lie, if you're here to fudge papers, if you're here to do that, you're in the wrong profession and you need to get out. But again, that's not, that's not the way that administrators tend to address staff. They aren't blunt with them. They aren't telling them the truth. They aren't saying we're all responsible for anything illegal that happens here. And if you're the one doing it, we're going to embarrass you. We're going to make the example out of you. So there's no, you know, there's no real accountability for the people that are in charge of the actual building. This is an ever-present problem. And again, this is not something that the homeschooling family has to deal with. The homeschooling family is typically not in the evening news for sex rings. That should pretty much tell you that there are healthy alternatives and healthier alternatives. It's just astounding to me that this continues to take place and people keep sending their children in these kinds of environments. Here's another example. And I have to tell you, I, I compliment Glenn Greenwald on this. Uh, he's, he's remarkably objective on this and he fully understands that. The faux outrage from 
Jewish individuals and Zionists and, and whomever. Again, screaming at all of the presidents of these universities, as you've heard me bring up last week, and even the end of the week before, even Glenn Greenwald can see through this and, and all of this faux outrage that exists. I mean, he, he, he sees this as being completely outrageous and endless, baseless allegations being made on all sides, in particular that Jews are being hunt down on college campuses and, and whatever else. This actually happened, though, in an American school, a middle school, if I'm not mistaken. And this was from Zero Hedge. It's titled, Jewish Teacher Charged for Threat to Behead Muslim Girl Who Said Israel Flag Was Offensive. So it says, a, a Jewish Georgia teacher has been arrested for threatening to kill a Muslim middle school student who took offense at the Israel flag displayed in his classroom. He's been charged with cruelty to children and making terroristic threats. Yes. Now again, individuals would look at this and they'd say, well, he was driven to say such a thing because Jews are under attack on a constant basis. And it's not his fault because he was just defending himself and that's the way that it is. Well, first of all, regardless of the subject he's teaching, when you start bringing up anything that's politically charged or currently politically charged, in, in the social sphere. It's not that it's irrelevant to bring up, but if you don't know what you're talking about, and let's face it, many American K-12 school teachers have no idea what they're talking about. Again, regardless of their background or their subject matter, they just don't know. They go home, they watch television, they believe it, they come back to school, they tell people what they saw on TV, and they rinse and they repeat. Not to mention, of course, in his particular case, He's probably a little emotional about the whole thing. And why does he have an Israeli flag in an American classroom? Doesn't matter if he's Jewish or not, which clearly he is, but it doesn't matter if he is or he isn't. Just have an American flag in your classroom. That's what people are supposed to be pledging allegiance to in the mornings. That's the whole point. But when he has that kind of a flag in his classroom, just like any other flag that doesn't represent America, or it represents one of your ideologies, or it represents your religion, or whatever it is, and it's in a classroom environment, yeah, you should expect a little social blowback from some students who disagree with you. That's going to happen. But then, of course, his reaction is beyond absurd, threatening to cut her head off. There you go. Very rational. So let's listen to this audio from their local news outlet, 13WMAZ, in 3, 2, 1. Last week, those tensions made their way inside a Warner Robins middle school classroom when a student allegedly told social studies teacher Benjamin Reese his Israeli flag offended her. Other teachers and staff then accused Reese of cursing at the student and threatening to kill her. As Anthony Montalto explains, Reese now faces criminal charges for his actions. According to a Housing County Sheriff's Office incident report, everything happened here, Warner Robins Middle School, around 3.30 in the afternoon on Thursday, December 7th. The report says Reese allegedly threatened to cut a girl's throat. Three students told investigators they were walking down the 7th grade hallway after school. That's when one student noticed an Israeli flag in Reese's classroom and stopped to ask him about it. The report says she asked Reese why he had it up. 
He told her he's Jewish and has family in Israel. That's when the report says the student told Reese she found it offensive because of civilian deaths in the Israel-Hamas war. She told investigators Reese got angry and started yelling at her, calling her anti-Semitic. She left his room, but the report says Reese followed the student and two friends down the hallway, continuing to yell as they headed back toward the eighth grade hall. The report says the three students couldn't hear most of what Reese said to them, but several other teachers each gave independent and very similar descriptions of hearing Reese loudly threatening to cut her head off while shouting profanities. And they say about 20 other students also heard the interaction. Later, school staff reported seeing three female students walking toward the eighth grade hallway visibly upset. Another teacher said she feared for her own safety after Reese's outburst. School officials did try to question him. The report says when the principal and school resource officer tried to speak with Reese, he became agitated, asserted his civil rights, and left. The school resource officer also reviewed surveillance video from the hallway and noted it shows Reese yelling down the hallway before heading back to his classroom. Reese faces two charges, one for terroristic threats and another for cruelty to children in the third degree. A judge set bond at $2,500 and $5,000 for each of those respectively, and he's since bonded out of jail. In Warner Robins, Anthony Montalto, 13 WMAC News. One of the reasons that I started this show was because there are multiple angles and multiple avenues of analysis that have to exist within this business in order for people to understand the truth. It is not black and white. It is not simple. There is a gray area that is so wide, so high, multidimensional, and deep in this entire thing that I could probably spend the rest of the episode on this alone. But I want to bring up a couple of things that were kind of hidden within that story that most people might not think about. And I'm not talking about you. You probably are well aware of this. The fact that he was ex military and spent 17 years in military service, and then became a teacher and has been a teacher over the last eight years. He said this, he said, quote, over the course of the last eight years teaching, I've been challenged far beyond anything 17 years of military service had prepared me for, and I love it. Okay, so what he's saying is, is that basically the teaching environment for him is worse or more challenging, so to speak, than that of military service. Now, that's his opinion, and opinions would vary on all of this. What this also shows, though, is that the profession isn't for everybody, and it's not even for everybody who has been former military. But what's one of the things that we've seen throughout the profession, certainly within the last, I'd say, five to eight years? You've seen an influx of ex-military leaving the service, and then attempting to become school teachers through these backdoor avenues, and then these school districts hire these military individuals because, or ex-military, because they believe that they understand discipline and order and routine, and these are good hires, and these are the good kinds of people to hire, and so on and so on. Very early on in the inception of this show, I had a guest on who was ex-military, and he openly stated that he went back to school because he thought that he wanted to be a school teacher. What he was learning at the university level was not what he thought he was going to be learning. He could easily see that it had nothing to do with what was actually taking place in society and also what needed to be going on within the classroom setting. And during his student teaching, he eventually just quit, if memory serves, and he said, I, I just can't do this. He said, what they're having us do is actually causing endless problems. 
They want us to make comments on what's going on in society when really we should just be teaching our subject. They want us to be activists and they want us to play these gimmicks and these games and do all of this. He said there's no independent objectivity that exists within a classroom setting from an instructional standpoint. He said, I, I, I can't do it. And he ended up becoming a police officer instead. So again, this notion that ex-military make the best school teachers is preposterous. And, and frankly, I would say that it's probably an even-handed comment to say that that's probably true across the board regardless of profession. Now again, I want to be clear that I'm not saying that there can't be ex-military who make excellent school teachers. I know that there are. And I know that there have been. I worked with a couple. They, they, were, they were very good. They knew exactly what they were doing. They understood the bureaucracy. They didn't like it. That was one of those avenues, of course, that they were very familiar with coming from the military. And at the exact same time, they could manage a classroom effectively. And their students, again, respected them and enjoyed them. And they knew what they were doing. And they taught their subject as, as objectively as they could. Of course, they were probably lying to them and misleading them about curriculum. But at the exact same time, they were rather effective at what they did. So, you know, one size does not fit all, clearly. But chasing students down in a hallway and following them down in a hallway, dropping the F-bomb on a consistent basis and then threatening to cut their head off, yeah, you're going to get arrested. And that's somebody who's been in the business too long. Again, they worked there for eight years. That's a long time. That's pretty much the going rate before somebody either snaps or somebody ends up, uh, you know, doing something that's going to cause them to get fired. And it, it, that's not uncommon, unfortunately, <laughs> because again, the, the, the running statistic, and it's far worse now, but before the whole COVID lie, the running statistic was if you walked into any school building and you looked around at all the staff members, within five years, 50% of them would be gone. I mean, that's, that, that's a rather damning statistic, and it's true. And again, it's gotten worse since, which is why they're having a hard time finding substitutes, why they're having a hard time finding full-time staff members, and it's why the turnover rate is still remarkably high. But again, when, when school teachers go home and they watch television and they believe what the mainstream media tells them, and then they bring that mindset back into the classroom setting the very next day, they're bringing a warped, brainwashed mind into the classroom setting. They're bringing things that are not 100% accurate, clearly. They're bringing a level of manipulation and Operation Mockingbird to the forefront and then passing that off on students as if, again, students are just going to blindly believe them. Well, we live in the information age. The technology that's at everyone's fingertips now allows individuals to look up factual information and understand what's going on. These teachers are going to get called out. This is just one of those examples. Again, who was the more civil individual in this conflict? It was clearly the student. I'm not saying it can't be the other way around. I'm not saying that there can't be, you know, a Muslim school teacher who goes off on a Jewish student, but we're not hearing that very often, are we? Again, you may recall Senator Josh Hawley's testimony that I played on the show last Friday. Jews are being thrown into corners and being told to stand in the corner during, uh, you know, college campus rallies and they're being bombarded constantly. Isn't this horrible? I mean, this one-sided fairy tale telling 
of alleged events that individuals themselves haven't seen with their own eyes is just beyond absurd. But again, this is the environment. It's an environment of brainwashing, and it needs the brainwashed in order to work there. And it needs the brainwashed in order to sit on school boards, and it needs the brainwashed to inhabit the entire environment in order to brainwash the next generation. That's the goal always. That is, that is a cycle of abuse that can only be snapped with the removal of your own children, your own family members from these environments, and then ultimately the complete and utter collapse of the American K-12 and higher education system. Which leads me now to these two school boards. I have to mention the local school board and what took place here. This last, this last meeting it was a two-hour school board meeting, and my God in heaven, was it revealing for a variety of things. So allow me to provide just a little background and a little refresher. This is a school district that is borderline insolvent. And they're constantly manipulating the public into believing that particular programs have to not exist in order for them to save money. And then all of a the sudden they find money, and then they slowly start to bring back some of these positions and some of these programs that they've previously cut. This is what transpired in this last school board meeting, keeping in mind that the thread of them wanting a levy on the ballot is ever present, and they make mention of this yet again during their school board meeting. So let me just kind of mention a few things and a few policies that they've had in place in the past and that they currently have and what they have apparently voted on bringing back. First of all, there are three elementary schools in the district where I live, and there is one counselor for all three buildings. So what? That's my first comment. My first comment is, so what? Tough noogies deal with it. Somebody would typically say, well, Sean, that's absurd. You need a school counselor in every single school building. It's always been that way. There needs to be at least one. And uh, even one in every school building is, is a lot of work for that one. Well, not necessarily. It just depends on what their job actually is. What is it that they're actually responsible for doing? And as you've heard me say, school counselors over the years, certainly within the last, I'd say, 20, within the last 20 years, they've been asked to basically be overpaid secretaries. The actual counseling of, of children is not something that they typically do anymore. The vast majority of it has to do with them filling out paperwork, helping administrate state standardized tests, scheduling classes for people, and a thousand other things. They schedule parent conferences. They do endless other things, but they don't actually do the thing that they used to do when we were all growing up. And it's, uh, and it's too bad, I guess, that that's the case. But what's funny is, and it's funny, ha-ha, funny, sad, is they actually brought up now that they're going to rehire two counselors. So there's going to be now one counselor in, in each elementary school building. Except their rationale for doing it is that the superintendent openly stated that they're seeing basically three things happen now with regularity and they can't explain why. 
they're seeing more students that they believe need counseling because of, here it comes, COVID. So it's that blanket statement of COVID that gets used as the excuse as to why things either go in one direction or things go in the other direction. Why things are this way or why they're that way. Why they had to make decisions here and not make decisions over here. It's beyond ridiculous because they were the ones who went along with the lie. And they still don't know that it's a lie. They're still not admitting anything. They can't admit any wrongdoing because they believe it to be real. So they're never, they're never going to apologize, and they're never going to admit any wrongdoing on any of this, even when they were the ones that perpetuated it. And now, of course, they're having to reap the decisions that they made previously regarding all of those lies, and they still can't figure out that it was them that was responsible. I mean, you talk about, again, a multidimensional point of view on brainwashing. That right there should prove it. So. What he said was this. Again, you can't make this up. He openly said that the reason that they need more counselors and that the reason that more students are requesting time out of the classroom to talk to someone, keep in mind they always want to be therapists, these school buildings. They want to be mental institutions. They want to be hospitals. This is what they want, and they're moving in this direction full bore, pedal to the floor, fifth gear. There's no avoiding it. He openly says then that there are students who are exhibiting more symptoms of what he called autism. And then he said, I don't have any proof of that because they haven't been tested. But they all seem to be suffering from the residual effects of COVID and they're exhibiting more behaviors of autism. And then he said, and trust me, there is, of course, a larger point that encompasses the entire thing, and you already know what that is, but he says that many of these students are exhibiting low social skills. Now again, he's receiving this from probably one individual. He's hearing this from the one counselor who existed among those three buildings and that this individual should just be believed at face value regardless of what they say. The thread that runs through it, of course, is the shots and the jabs. What is it that these children were doing over the last two to three years that could possibly cause anybody to use COVID as an excuse, autism as an excuse, and low social skills as an excuse? Because autism didn't exist before the invention of inoculation. So, it's the inoculations that are causing this. It's the constant inoculations year after year, including the ones that not only society is pushing on them with all of their Pfizer cartoon commercials. And holy shit, one Pfizer cartoon commercial I saw the other day was an absolute abomination, and it was a YouTube ad. It was one of those YouTube ads that you could skip. If you wanted to skip it after a certain amount of seconds, but I watched the whole thing, and my God in heaven, it was terrible. This cartoon girl, and she walks in to the hospital, and she gets a Band-Aid on her arm, and it's time to get your updated COVID booster. And Don't forget your flu shot and RSV shot. I'm saying to myself, yes, yes, you're going to have children exhibiting more behaviors 
of someone who has autism and has no social skills because they're being drugged to death by the pharmaceutical industry, by the school itself, with its quote-unquote required immunizations and inoculations, and then what? So I jumped ahead a little, but you, you, you get the idea. I mean, the superintendent did make that statement, and it stood out to me like a sore thumb. And I thought to myself, good Lord, you're, you're killing children. You're killing them. And the excuse-making isn't helping either. The constant rationalization as to why things are the way that they are, and well, it's just the era of COVID, quote-unquote. I want to slap these people every time that they say COVID. Every time I hear it, I just want to I just want to raise my right hand and give them a fresh one. They have no idea what they're doing. Not a clue. And what they've done, not a clue. Okay. Sorry for that rant. There was this and this was beyond disturbing also. You may recall that the Maoist who is a Miami University Ed Leadership Professor, a Dr. Kathleen Knight Abowitz, that she is the outgoing board member, and the incoming board member has already been harassed and threatened and a thousand other things uh, to to her person face-to-face, and of course online. She wasn't there. The incoming one board member wasn't there, which I, I thought was a bit disappointing. She could have come up to the microphone during the public comments section and and highlighted what the president of the board has said about her and saying that we need to make sure that we f and get her out of here and that she never gets elected and blah blah blah. She could have she could have done all of that uh this board meeting, this last board meeting before the new year, but she's now going to be on the next board meeting in January and trust me when that happens, I'll bring that to you on this show. And, I, and she had better read that Facebook post, which I read on the show here uh, a number of episodes ago, but she, she had better do that because she needs to divide and conquer and hang these people out to dry. But the outgoing board member, Dr. Knight Abowitz, her responsibility on the board has always been about legislative matters to bring up legislative matters and instead of just bringing up legislative matters they always they always make comments about it and how they feel about it and every single time that they do they all sound like hard staunch leftists because that's exactly who they are so apparently there's a couple of of uh, of bills on Mike DeWine's desk the governor of Ohio and it could be the same bill, I'm not entirely sure, but it has to do with transgenders in sports. That's part of it, that transgenders aren't allowed to play in, in the sport of the opposite sex, and thank God for it. She, of course, doesn't like this, and she openly voiced her opinion on not liking that. The next one had to do with transgender students not being able, and the schools not being able to hide the transitioning of these children to their parents, that the parents have to be informed about this if the child brings it up within the school environment, that the school now has a legal obligation or will, once it gets signed, to bring this up to the parents immediately. She didn't like that either. So in one fell swoop, with just two comments out of her stupid mouth, 
she openly states that she is for kids being able to cut their genitals off without their parents knowing, and that she wants children who are pretending to have genitals that they don't have, that they should be able to play on a sports team of their choosing. She's a lunatic. She's an absolute lunatic. And again, her being the outgoing board member is a good thing. However, it's not going to matter in the long run because they're all that way. All of them are that way. They all agree with one another on that kind of stuff. Because they're all degenerates. Again, half of them are gay, at least half of them. And, and that's it, including the superintendent. So degenerate behavior follows itself from one avenue to the next. The, the, the line gets very blurred between the public and private degeneracy within one's life. And they just sort of fold over top of one another, as we, of course, have seen with the Senate staffer uh, having gay sex <laughs> on, the, on the congressional dais of, a se- of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Again, I can't imagine wanting to sit in that seat ever again. Uh, but, you know, th- that right there should prove it, that, that this goes on within many of these environments. It almost doesn't matter the working environment, frankly. It's pretty much just about everywhere. Hopefully not, but you get what I'm saying. Certainly within these, uh, you know, cubicle kind of working environments, and certainly within ones where elected officials have some say over what goes on. But either way, those were the outgoing comments from the outgoing board member. Uh, I'm just looking at my notes here because I have a great deal of them. There was coughing throughout the entire board meeting. And this was, this was among almost all board members. They're just coughing constantly. And they can't for the life of them figure out why. Because again, they're saying to themselves, I'm sure, well, it must be that RSV. It must be, you know, it's flu season and I got my flu shot and I keep coughing and I just can't seem to figure out why my body isn't regulating things the normal way that it's supposed to. Well, it could be because you've permanently damaged your DNA and you have AIDS. Then again, what do I know? I just read this stuff for fun. (laughs) So, you know, they're not figuring it out. Still not figuring out the constant coughing. In fact, I have to tell you, it's kind of funny to some extent because I've wanted to do this, although it would, it, would be, uh, it would take too long, but I've wanted to take a full board meeting and just chop it up, chop up the audio on my, on my computer program here, and then just have nothing but coughs as the entire audio and play it for you so you can hear what, I'm, what I have to listen to every time that I watch these board meetings. It really is astounding. I mean, they're constantly coughing and then slapping their, slapping their chest with their hand and taking drinks of water and then turning to the person next to them and hacking up a lung. And then it's just, it's an ever-present thing, but they can't figure out why they're doing this all year long, every year since the fall of 2020. They just can't figure it out. So there's that. Um, there was this too which proves that these individuals are pathological liars. There was apparently a Facebook post where people were complaining about how there are students and children who are, who are students in the district, 
children of staff members who are allowed to ride the bus to the school when other students aren't allowed to ride the bus and be picked up at their homes because of the busing shortages and the busing regulations that exist in the district as of right now and have existed throughout this entire semester. At one point toward the end of the board meeting, this, the, the board president says, that's a complete lie, that didn't happen, and, uh, and then made a joke about it and goes, yes, they're riding in a limousine to school. We're having them ride in a, in a special limousine. The superintendent actually interrupts both he and another board member who were trying to act like this didn't happen, and the superintendent goes, actually, this is happening. And he says, and here's why. And he describes it. Now, it's a lame-ass excuse because he basically says that the, that the, that the uh, staff members, the, the teachers themselves, have to be at the school at a particular time. And so in order for them to get there on time, it's easier for them to drop their children off at another school and then have, them, have their children ride the bus to that school. I don't know. E- either way, the whole thing is a bit confusing, but he, they were making excuses as to why there's a little bit of preferential treatment, and they're making it sound like it's because, again, the staff members have kids, and the staff members themselves, as employees of the district, have to get there within a certain amount of time in order to make sure that they're you know ready to go for the day. Th- the point is, is that you had two board members attempt to say that it wasn't happening, and then the superintendent stepped in and said, no, this is happening. This is a real thing. So they both kind of got browbeat, which was funny, uh, because again, they stuck their foot in their mouths. This is what happens when you, when you speak too much, and you don't listen, and you don't tell the truth. And keep in mind, these are individuals who are pathological liars. The one guy who spoke up is the guy who I filed an ethics complaint against for paying himself back for Super Bowl tickets. And that was, that was two years ago, over two years ago, almost coming up on three years ago. And he's still on the board. So he shouldn't be. And then the other one was from the board president, who was an absolute abomination and, uh, yeah, and a thousand other things. So that occurred. That was strange. Again, I'm just, I'm highlighting these points not because. It's irrelevant because you don't live here. I, I'm, I'm highlighting these points for the audience because I want you to know the kinds of people that inhabit these positions. It, it's in their nature. It's in their DNA to be, to be misleading and to be liars and to be deceitful and to make it sound like they do everything right and they have to make hard decisions. They don't have to make any hard decisions. They have to have common sense. And unfortunately, that's in short supply and they have none. Let me, let me give you another example. Over the last semester, they've cut busing to where there's no, high school, there's no busing for high school students, and uh, I don't think there's busing for, for whatever it is. Certainly students who live within a certain area around, around the schools themselves. Well, there's a woman who consistently shows up to these board meetings, and she said she was going to show up every, every single time, and she has, and she's complained about the busing. Every single time. Why don't you have buses? You have money for these programs, money for those programs. You're hiring these people, you're hiring those people, but you still don't have buses for all the students that want to go to these schools. Well, 
joke's on all of them. They think they need to go to these schools, but they don't. So, and joke is on her also. But either way, her showing up by herself, I'm sure with a a lot of other emails that have been thrown the superintendent's way and, and board members' way, they're bringing busing back in the fall of next year. But what they're going to do, which is where the public is being manipulated by the board yet again, is they're going to put a levy on the ballot. And they're going to say the only reason and the only way that we can have busing in the future is if you pass a levy. See, this is the manipulation game that gets played by board members consistently on the public, months if not years in advance, and the public never wises up to it. They just don't. The public is getting played yet again where I live into being coerced into voting for a levy, which is going to raise their already uh, already high and increasing property taxes as of January 1st of this coming year. And they're being told that if they don't vote for a levy, well, we're going to have to take your buses away. All those kids are going to, you know, they're going to have to suffer yet again. You can see how the homeschooling family doesn't have to jump through these hoops or deal with any of this crap. They don't have to deal with any of it. They're all laughing at home, eating, you know, drinking hot chocolate and eating s'mores and having a fun grand old time by the, by the fire. They don't have to deal with any of this. Meanwhile, the chaotic environment is the government environment. But if you walk away because you can read and write and teach yourself, what's the problem? Again, the grandmother who consistently shows up to this board meeting has an eight-year-old grandson, and she's the one advocating for him. Well, he's eight. He can probably read and write. Why is he not using a Becca? Why are you as a grandmother not buying him a laptop computer and looking into a Becca.com? Instead, you're showing up and you're, you're yelling about busing. Please take my grandchild to this indoctrination center on a bus. Yes, I could probably pick him up and drop him off and do all of those other things on a day-in and day-out basis with my retired spare time as a grandmother, but I want you to come and pick him up so that you can brainwash him in your system and he can continue to be abused with all of the lies and XYZ. It's astounding the fights that these people pick. They pick the wrong fights all of the time. The homeschooling family isn't fighting anybody. The only fight that the homeschooling family is going to have in the future, and I'm talking about the future, is when government starts knocking on their door and says, what are you doing? Again, that's if they live in a state that continues to crush or attempts to crush homeschooling families as potentially being physically abusive against their children with no factual allegation whatsoever or factual basis for knocking on their door in the first place. That's the fight that comes in the future, but it's coming. Mark my words. That that will happen. It's already happening in Europe. It's happening in the UK. It's going to happen here. If it's not already happening here, and I'm certain it is, I mean, CPS involvement and whatever else, but either way, all of that got brought up too. Here was another thing that got brought up. Absolutely hilarious. You've heard me mention this before also. Beyond absurd. They decided to post their bullying report for the first semester of this school year. Again, there are five schools in this district, three are elementary, one middle, 
one high. They actually post this. And as they posted it, the superintendent chimed in and he said, Now, what this doesn't count, I could do his voice. It's super flamboyant. But what he said, what he says is, is he says, What this doesn't count are codes of conduct violations, other conflicts, and a couple of other things. Which basically, again, means the number that they're telling the public is not an accurate number. So here's what he stated, and here's what they actually published in their, in their notes for the meeting, that the high school only had two reports of bullying based on the definition of bullying, which they also have listed here, which is bullying is unwanted aggressive behavior among school-aged children that involves a real or perceived power imbalance. The behavior is repeated or has the potential to be repeated over time. Both kids who are bullied and who bully others may have serious and lasting issues, unquote. That's their definition. So they're trying to get, again, people to believe that at the high school there were only two reported cases of bullying the entire semester and that zero of those two reported cases actually qualified as being bullying. So what does that mean? It means they're lying on the front end and then they're lying on the back end. There's no way that a high school, any high school, only has two reported incidents of bullying and that of those two, that they would basically delete them because it was found to not qualify. The middle school, they claim that there were only five and that zero actually qualified as being the definition of bullying. There were two at Bogan Elementary School and zero qualified. There were seven at Kramer and zero qualified. And there were zero at Marshall Elementary School and zero qualified. It's gaslighting. It's always been here. It's always existed. This kind of gaslighting is ever-present. Because at the front end, like I said, the superintendent openly stated that yes, there were, there were codes of conduct violations, and yes, there were other serious infractions, and I'm sure there were drugs being brought, and people being intimidated and sexually harassed, but it doesn't fit under bullying. So, this is how they, this is how they hide it. They, 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 they categorize it as bullying, and then they end up on the back end saying, well, it turned out not to be, so now we can hit the delete button on the computer, and it all goes away. And no one's really held accountable. Because what system do these schools use for what they believe to be accountability? I've brought it up on the show before. They use a system that they refer to as restorative practices. This is fraudulent. They don't even know where restorative practices originated. And I know because I had to research it for my dissertation research. Restorative practices came from an Australian judge. It came out of the mind of an Australian judge in, all, in Australia in an effort to reintroduce hardened felons into society. And we're talking about some of the worst of the worst. And what you do is, is you pull them into a room while they're still in jail before they leave. 
and you basically get them to agree to a series of vocabulary words and word usage that makes it sound like the hardened felon and criminal has learned their lesson and learned the error of their ways and they're never going to repeat it and they have accepted accountability for their actions in the past and they're never going to do it again. This continues to be the approach that is used within all school districts across the United States. Almost every school district, public, private, and charter, has some restorative practices, quote-unquote, approach to handling discipline. You get students in a room, you have them hammer out their problems verbally, and then they go back to their class and they sign some contract that says, we're going to leave each other alone and we've realized why we disagree. What ends up happening, of course, is you end up having the administrator try to play counselor because the counselor can't possibly field all of these complaints. And there are more complaints, again, than than what they're reporting and what they're admitting to. There always are. So you end up having these administrators and assistant administrators get involved, and then they have to rely on the restorative practices verbiage and all that nonsense, and they go through it, and then the turnover rate for these infractions increases. It doesn't decrease, which means the whole thing doesn't work, but they just keep using it because they're told to use it. It would be like saying, hitting them in the head with a rubber mallet is the policy. And so if they engage in some kind of an infraction, or they're bullying one another, or sexually harassing one another, or even engaging in physical fights, we'll hit them over the head with a rubber mallet, and that's going to work. Because it's, you know, it's policy. So as long as it's policy, well, then it just has to work. So they keep hitting them in the head with a rubber mallet, but they keep going back into the classroom and back into gen pop, we'll call it. And then they end up making their way back because they really haven't learned their lesson. And so what's their next approach? They hit him over the head with a rubber mallet again. This is an environment that is incapable of learning on multiple levels. And they're proving it on a constant basis. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention because, again, that's an ever-present thing. And my dissertation research proved that restorative practices doesn't work. The professional development for teachers when it comes to conflict resolution and violence prevention doesn't work. What does work? Expulsion. That's what works. Kicking out violent people the moment they're violent and saying goodbye and getting rid of them permanently. And then you tell the whole building that Billy and Sally are gone forever because they can't be civil in a public environment. There's a shot that goes over the bow of the entire school and student population, you name it, teachers included, to make it crystal clear that if anybody touches one another so much as looks at one another poorly, and it can be proven that something bad has happened, that the the individual who is doing the victimizing is gone. And oh, by the way, if you make a false claim about something that didn't actually happen, That person who made the false claim is also expelled. But this doesn't exist. Where does it exist? It tends to exist in the working environment, doesn't it? If you enter the corporate field, you don't get chance after chance after chance after chance to keep sexually harassing or bullying people. 
In many cases, unfortunately, you do, myself included, within the school environment itself. But in the corporate world, in the, in the, in the private sector, you, you tend not to. If you're engaging in this kind of behavior, they either move the employee who is doing the victimizing or they fire them immediately. So you can see the chain of events here. You can see the disconnect. This is the disconnect that exists between what they're being taught in schools and what's actually happening in the corporate world. By and large, I mean, there are endless exceptions, clearly, but that, that's one of the things that's happening. So I wanted to make mention of that, too. One final thing in this board meeting that I kind of picked up on, it had to do with money mismanagement. Rather typical. Like I said earlier, this school district is borderline insolvent. But now all of a sudden, they've had an auditor come in and they are telling the public that they have 240 some odd days of cash on hand, which basically means if the school shut down for 240 days, they could still pay the employees. That's essentially what that means. And that's basically it. Maybe they could keep the lights on, but by and large, they could pay the employees. They could pay the insurance for 240 some odd days and they would be okay. And then in typical fashion, they compared themselves to endless other districts and they stated that all these other districts only have eight days or 80 days of cash on hand. And some of them are, again, basically insolvent and they have no money whatsoever. That the district itself is actually operating on a paycheck to paycheck basis. Now, what's funny is this. This school district thinks that they're in the money now. So what are they starting to do? Now they're not in the money. They're still insolvent. But what are they, what are they trying to do now and what are they actually doing? They're bringing back people. They're bringing back counselors. They're bringing back coaches. They're bringing back all these positions that theoretically don't have to exist at all. They're spending money they really don't have. And this is going to back up on them. But what's going to happen is their own decision is going to be used against the public in the future to justify the presence of a levy. They aren't the only school district that makes this kind of a manipulative move. They all do. All school districts manipulate the public into believing that the district has to exist, and if we don't have a levy, we can't exist. Which brings me now to the Westerville City Schools School Board meeting. This particular board meeting had an interesting presentation having to do with health education, theoretically health education. And what they're claiming is that in the future here, they're going to have a program that exists beginning in the, uh, well, this year. It says, Ohio school law requires that school districts provide prevention education instruction in suicide prevention, violence prevention, and something that they call social inclusion. Now, what was interesting about this is in this Westerville City School Board meeting, nobody asked what social inclusion meant. They didn't ask what it meant for the public. So I'll tell you what social inclusion means. It's code language. It's all code language. Social inclusion means get along with everybody no matter what, tolerate everything and everybody no matter what, and if you don't, we're going to hold you accountable for not being tolerant. What does that sound like? If you thought to yourself it sounds like diversity, equity, and inclusion, you would be correct. 
This is the word manipulation that gets used. This is how they hide it. And this instruction is to occur annually for students grades 6 through 12. And if health education isn't offering it annually for each grade, then the instruction has to come from physical education teachers, police officers, and lawyers. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Again, here's, here's the interesting thing about this. I used to teach suicide prevention and violence prevention as a health educator. I was certified to do it. I was the most qualified person to do it. A police officer wasn't qualified. A lawyer wasn't qualified, although I relied on them for information that I brought to the classroom setting because it was part of the curriculum. But health education teachers are ultimately responsible. What they're trying to do now is, is they're outsourcing this kind of education to cops and lawyers to try to get cops and lawyers to show up to teach children about what all of this means. But I'm, I'm not kidding when I say the social inclusion piece is diversity, equity, and inclusion, that you need to be tolerant of all of the gay stuff, that if Billy wants to pretend he's a girl, well, you still need to be socially inclusive with Billy. And that if Sally thinks that Sally's a boy named Stephen, well, you need to be socially inclusive with Sally who's pretending to be Stephen. That's what that means. They will deny that's what that means because they have to deny it for fear of public pushback. Again, Westerville is a pretty conservative, I would call them, uh, I would call it a mouth-breather, brainwashed conservative area that watches Fox News. Okay, you, you're probably familiar with that kind of mentality. That's generally it, or they don't watch Fox News, but they just believe what their cell phone tells them on their, on their news applications that they have on their phones. These are uninvolved parents who are heavily involved in the school district from their own children's point of view, by and large, because they think that, they're, uh, you know, that their shit doesn't stink as a school district. They couldn't be more wrong. They too are insolvent and going insolvent. And their own treasurer has again openly stated that they need a levy. Well, they're going to get one. Because if you have enough brainwashed people who are diehard into the school district and believe that the school district needs whatever it asks for, they're going to get a levy. That'll happen. It's too bad. Because again, like I've said in the past, metaphorically, it's like paying somebody to punch you right in the nose and then do it again and then do it again. It's, it's beyond ridiculous, but it is happening. Here's where it gets even worse. It says one of the bullet points in this presentation that these two nitwits provided to the district. It says that schools are required to use an approved evidence-based program based on these requirements and that the school district recommends what they call and what does exist as the Sandy Hook program. Yes, that's right. Sandy Hook and that whole hoax has their own program having to do with suicide prevention, violence prevention, and social inclusion. So they're relying on a curriculum program for these presentations which is already in health education curriculum without the Sandy Hook lie and the Sandy Hook nonsense. 
but they're bringing in a Sandy Hook program, which is completely contrived based on a CIA federal government lie that took place that didn't exist where no kids and staff members died. You see how deep the brainwashing goes here. And nobody questioned it. Nobody went, wow, Sandy Hook, well, that's interesting. Have we looked into that program and what does that look like? And can this be believed? Nope. If it happens on their TV, ladies and gentlemen, it must be real. It must be. So that's a thing and that's happening. Now that leads me to this. I want to play this audio from this from this Dr. Nestor Baker, and you can hear the tone in her voice, very pretentious. Again, this is the same woman who was under an ethics violation for voting for her daughter and voting for issues pertaining to her daughter's employment in the district, which you can't do. She had to abstain, and she didn't, and somebody hung her out to dry, and then somebody reported her, probably a board member. It's it's amazing. These people go for each other's throats, and they're so stupid that they don't even know what each board member is supposed to do and not do. But either way, another individual comes up to the lectern and describes how the state of Ohio is freeing up families to engage in homeschooling without government intervention, and they're making it easier for school choice. As you would expect, Board members for school districts, public, private, and charter, in particular public, they can't stand that. They hate it, which means they hate you. That if you're a homeschooling family who's raising your own children, they don't like you. And this woman makes that abundantly clear. So give this a listen in three, two, one. Okay. Uh... 10.5, first reading of policy 9270, equivalent education outside of the schools. And I'd like to welcome Mr. McElwain. Thank you, President Davidson. Good evening, Dr. Clark, Ms. Marshall, members of the Board of Education. It is my pleasure to present to you the first reading for revisions for policy 9270, equivalent education outside the schools, better known as home education. This policy is recommended for language revisions due to changes in Ohio Revised Code from House Bill 33, which is the governor's budget bill. Most of these revisions are just some general wording pieces that have changed due to the new bill and the new language, Uh, but we do need to make uh, some updates to our board policy to make sure that we are in line with Ohio Revised Code and up to date on our policies. Anyone has any questions? I'll be more than happy to uh, take those now. I don't have a question, but I have deep concerns about the changes the state made. Um, The decimating of the requirements for homeschooling is deeply concerning, and it sets up a situation whereby um, parents who do not necessarily have the best interests of their children at heart will be able to get away with hiding various uh, situations in the home. Um, we have in this state removed much of the capacity for oversight that the districts once had. And this is in many ways a tragedy waiting to happen for a number of students. A lot of things have been removed with these new changes. That is accurate. Okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. No one cares about her deep concerns. Nobody cares. 
No one cares about government's concerns over we the people. If government is concerned about a free and independent society, government is your enemy. They need to get their hands out of our cookie jar. It's none of their business. What goes on in the home is none of government's business unless a law is being broken. It's that simple. But see, a person like her, Dr. Nestor Baker, these hyphenated names, Jesus. But I mean, these people, I mean, that right there too, I'm sorry, I gotta, I gotta do this. The hyphenated name, the pretentious aspect of an individual, a, a female, a wife, who doesn't want to take her husband's last name, so we'll hyphenate it. I mean, why? It's by and large leftists that do that. But I mean, that right there should prove it to you. Her comments right there should pretty much prove she's a ball buster. You know, she walks around with her, with her nose up in the air like she can't do anything wrong. And then again, actually believes herself that the district should somehow have oversight over homeschooling families or even families who utilize the home learning, which apparently is offered throughout the district. No, that's not your call. That isn't your call. But again, you have to keep in mind. This is the mentality of these people. This is who sits on these boards. So, there you go. In conclusion, again, the coughing. For the love of God. You have AIDS. I mean, you just have AIDS. You're insolvent. You have AIDS because you're constantly coughing. Your, your DNA is damaged. Uh, Jennifer Altman, who sits on the board, again, constantly coughing. Can't figure out why. Very simple question. When did you start coughing? Was it after you took the shots, or was it before you took the shots? I think we know. Okay, moving on. Did you hear about the uh, Fairfax County, Virginia board member who took the oath of office while placing his left hand and raising his right hand, but placing his left hand on a stack of those pornographic children's books that you'll find in your local K-12 library? That happened, apparently. It did happen, actually. Video of that bouncing around, plenty of pictures. There was also this from last week, the University of Oklahoma, and this is from their office of the president addressing the OU community, that Oklahoma's governor signed an executive order eliminating the offices of diversity, equity, and inclusion at all public higher education institutions in Oklahoma, including the University of Oklahoma. Now, that's a good thing. However, the lobby runs the whole thing, and we know who the lobby is. The lobby is not going to quit without a fight. They will go underground, they will change their name, they will become something else, and let's face it, if you don't get rid of the actual people who believe the diversity, equity, and inclusion lie, which as we know means eliminating white people, I've been over it on the show in detail, as to what all those words actually mean, certainly in last week's episodes, but they're not going to change. And if you don't get rid of, like I said, the people that believe all of that nonsense, nothing will change. It will, it will continue. It can be on the books all it wants to be, uh, you know, with the state house in the law books, but it's not, it's not going to diminish. It will remain. It just puts on a different mask. That's all. Okay, jab-related stuff. I got a little gossip here. 
Want to hear a little gossip? Why not? Everybody likes a little gossip. Uh, this is from Dr. Mike Eden's Telegram page. And I like this because he's going after Robert Malone. And I'm going to explain why. Here's what Mike Eden said, Dr. Mike Eden, who I highly respect. And he actually tags him on Telegram. He says Malone is in full-on fake mode. He says that he knows that these aren't regulated pharmaceutical products at all, but countermeasures under a public health emergency. It's not a side issue. For proof, see substacks of Catherine Watt and Sasha Latipova. There is zero possibility that Malone doesn't know this. His articles are locked to paying subscribers. How very convenient. If there are any such subscribers here, perhaps you would be so kind as to copy and paste this comment there. Many thanks, Mike. Here's what, here's what Dr. Yeadon's referring to. You've heard Robert Malone, and I've played some of the audio here and even said this in previous episodes. He believes that the FDA just made some mistakes and that there was just poor oversight or missteps and all these other words that he uses. The fact is, is that the FDA was in on this. They were in on the push. They were in on the acceptance of the shots, the entire fake narrative, the lie of virology. They're in on all of it. They always have been. But that's not what Robert Malone would lead you to believe, because Robert Malone is right there when it comes to Steve Kirsch's take, which is that this isn't intentional, that this wasn't a purposeful depopulation program by three-letter agencies, when in fact, it has been proven that that is the case. And there is ample evidence to show this. In particular, again, the work of Catherine Watt, the information that even um, Karen Kingston has brought to the forefront, and certainly Tom Rents as well. So when Malone says that these are regulated pharmaceutical products, or that it might have things in it that aren't, but things in it that are, that's not true. You also have to keep in mind all of the people that Robert Malone is suing for going after him and criticizing him. There are many people. He's suing them for hundreds of millions and tens of millions of dollars. But there's only one person, ladies and gentlemen, who has friends with and has worked for three-letter agencies. It's not Dr. Yeadon. It's not Karen Kingston. It isn't Catherine Watt. This is Robert Malone. So here's what happened, because again, on Substack, you can't comment on anybody or any article or anything if you're not a paid subscriber to someone who has a locked subscription like Robert Malone does. So mine is free, for example, so anybody can comment if they want. You just have to subscribe for free, and then you can comment on any article that I write. So somebody took Mike Eden's comments from Telegram and posted it underneath Robert Malone's, uh, one of his more recent articles, on Substack over here, and here's what it says. Again, they said the same quote that I just read you. Robert Malone re replied to it, and he said this, quote, Mike does not understand what is going on. I wish him well, bless his heart, but he should just shut the fuck up. <laughs> that's, that's Malone responding 
to Mike Eden. So again, of the two of them, who has friends in three-letter agencies and brags about it? Is it Malone or is it Yeadon? It's Malone. Again, the very nature of the comment that Malone made in response proves that he's incapable of arriving at the most logical conclusion and that he doesn't want to learn anything. He thinks he's the expert. He's the much-traveled. Well, I've testified to these senators and uh, you know the, these congressmen and women and blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's the one out there consistently trying to cover his own ass, and he has been since the start. So again, here was a follow-up of what Dr. Yeadon said on Telegram, and he said the following, and of course he linked Malone's substack talking about how the FDA fails to address DNA adulteration. He said, quote, I'm going to do this only once. I don't like criticizing others in the fight, but I'm criticizing Dr. Robert Malone. You decide if that's warranted or not. I decided on day one of realizing there were people speaking out who aren't on our side, that I've more than enough on my plate to waste energy attacking others, and I've stuck to it. Who I am, who am I to judge others' motives? Let he who is free of sin cast the first stone, and all that. But we're in a very dangerous position. You will know from my many interviews and posts that having worked for decades in rational drug design, quote-unquote, within big pharma, and from my initial training in mechanistic technology, I'm sorry, mechanistic toxicology, rather, that it is quite obvious that the materials falsely called vaccines are designed intentionally to cause harm. Dr. Malone has not questioned me on that, and while I'm well aware of my much lower position on the pecking order of publicity than Robert, I believe my allegations are so striking that he must be aware of them. I'd welcome a chance to discuss this with him. My specific concern right now is that Dr. Malone is berating F FDA about absent oversight of quality control and safety of these products. Many people may find it odd that I'm disturbed by this line of public argumentation, but the basis of that concern is that these are not legally classified as pharmaceutical products and are not regulated by the FDA. There's no doubt about it. And then he links Sasha, uh, Sasha Latipova's substack describing that. He says, therefore, all this posturing about failings of FDA is theater. They're not in charge. Anyone claiming to be for the people against the monsters, for, that, for that's what they are, who continues this fiction, the fiction rather, that there's been a pandemic fails to acknowledge that all the measures, quote unquote, from lockdowns to vaccines are without merit, is at this stage a crook. Right onwards, he says. Don't believe, resist. Get as ready as you can. Speak out. Best wishes, Mike. He says, P.S. Thanks to the followers here who did as I asked and posted the comment below Robert Malone's latest article. I couldn't, as only paying subscribers can. I didn't get a good reception. Unquote. Again, you've heard me bring it up here with Robert Malone on the show before. When he's talking about FDA just didn't have the right measurements in place and they they were skipping steps and blah 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 he's incapable of understanding the vile connection 
that the employees themselves have with the CDC, uh, all these other regulatory agencies, and I'm using that term regulatory loosely, and same with the vaccine manufacturers themselves, which they're not vaccines, they're bioweapons, and all vaccines are bioweapons. So again, I'm glad that, that Dr. Yeadon knows this and that every time that Robert Malone opens his mouth and says, well, there were clearly missteps and it just seems to be the case. And like in that last uh, congressional hearing, although it wasn't in front of all of Congress, but he was sitting right next to two individuals, actually. One, one was an OBGYN who you're going to hear from in just a minute. And then the other was Tom Rents. And Tom Rents goes, I have proof that they're doing this intentionally that this was intentional. You can see Robert Malone sink in his chair. He just gets real weirded out by that. Why? Why is that? Why is that uncomfortable for him? Again, and to, uh, to curse at Mike Eden and say that he doesn't know what he's talking about and he, he just needs to shut the fuck up. I mean, that's a bit, uh, calling it unprofessional is, is an understatement. Why, why, don't you, why don't you bring to bear uh, Dr. Malone, that you have proof that there were innocent missteps and not a more nefarious nature behind what's going on. Well, he can't. It's just like when you ask Steve Kirsch the same thing. Someone yelling at Steve Kirsch that this is a depopulation agenda. Now, Steve Kirsch is nodding his head kind of in agreement, but he's not openly saying it. There was a time when Steve Kirsch being interviewed by Stu Peters was consistently going, yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe it was a depopulation agenda. I just think that there were some, uh, you know, regulatory errors. And uh, I just don't think that they knew exactly what they were doing. And they may have had good intentions, but as it turns out, it's far worse than we could possibly imagine. I mean, honest to Christ, many of us knew that there was a depopulation agenda way before 2020. Many of us knew this. It's not, it's not, it's not a game of at this point, I'll, I'll tell you what, I want to revise something. It's not a game of, I knew this before you did, or you knew this before I did, or we knew this before this group. That, that's, not, that's not what really matters. What matters is, who's refusing to look at the evidence and continue to believe their own lie, and who isn't? That's the divide. It was like, again, when Steve Kirsch came out and went, you can't sue Pfizer. And then all of a sudden came out and goes, the floodgates are open on litigation. You can sue any of these people. And Karen Kingston's standing there the whole time going, I know. I told you you could. I've written substacks about that since 2021, she said. And she's right. It's this gatekeeper mentality that is really destructive. It's this. We're the heroes, and you need to listen to us all of the time. Speaking of that, this is worth, I think, mentioning just as a quick little side note and a side question. Where's Dr. Simone Gold these days? Where's Dr. Gold? A little quiet, isn't she? Not making a whole lot of noise. People aren't reporting on her very much. She may still be giving speeches, but she's pretty much irrelevant. Well, that's what happens. When you're slow on the uptake, and then you try to grab onto people's coattails and ride the horse into town and act like you're in charge and you're here to save the day, and you turn out to just be a flipping fraud, well, yeah, 
people are going to wise up to it eventually. I think the day is coming where ultimately Robert Malone's voice isn't going to have nearly the impact that it's had. He was slow in the uptake from the word go. Hell, he took the shots. So he says. He took them and claims to be injured by them. Now wrap your head around that level of brainwashing, or at least that cover-up, that he's using that potentially as being an excuse as to why, well, I don't think there was a depopulation agenda, because if that were true, they wouldn't have let me take it, because I know these people, and I used to work with some of them, and whatever else, and I respect them. I mean, he's openly stated that the people who won the Nobel Prize for these bioweapon shots deserved it, that they earned it. You've got to be kidding me. So, good for Mike Eden for calling him out. Keep doing it. People like him need to be called out. It's beyond ridiculous. And, uh, yeah. And it's happening on a constant basis. The truth is coming to the surface, which is a beautiful thing. Again, it's biblical. It's in the book of Luke. It's right there. All lies will be revealed. Excellent. Okay. Oh, by the way, in case you didn't know this, this is from Fortune.com. People who skipped their COVID vaccine are at a higher risk for traffic accidents, according to a new study. I just wanted to make that known to you that the American Journal of Medicine has published a study this month uh, where during the summer of 2021, Canadian researchers examined the encrypted government-held records of more than 11 million adults, 16% of whom hadn't received the COVID vaccine, and they found that the unvaccinated people were 72% more likely to be involved in severe traffic crashes, in which at least one person was transported to the hospital and those who were vaccinated, than those who were vaccinated. So you can see what they're trying to do here. Yes, it's gaslighting, but they're trying to get you to believe that the reason your car insurance rates are going up across the board is because of the unvaccinated. No, that's not it. The jabbed are getting in car accidents, the jabbed are dying, and that's causing car insurance rates to increase. The premiums are going up because of the car accidents, and the premiums are going up because there are less customers because they're jabbed. So they're not driving around as much. Well, if they're not driving around as much or they're handicapped and they can't drive anymore because of the shots, well, they have to cancel their car insurance then, don't they? They're trying to turn it against us. They've always been trying to turn it against us pure bloods, but it doesn't work. Nice try, but we catch it and it doesn't work. Okay, I'm going to end with this. This is a 16-minute audio. I'm going to play the whole thing. This is from Dr. Mackis's Substack page, COVID Intel, and this is Dr. Biss. Dr. Biss is the woman who is an OBGYN out of Florida. Uh, very early on, she had, during the whole COVID lie nonsense, during the hysteria, she had a video that she put out. I don't know if it was on TikTok or wherever, but it was bouncing around social media. And she was specifically talking about the rates of miscarriage that she was seeing. And specifically, as you would expect, among mothers who were jabbed. Uh, she also, of course, testified not that long ago, and I highlighted it in a previous substack, but she was the one sitting at the same table with Robert Malone and Tom Rents. She was sitting to the to the right of Malone and Rents was sitting to the left of Malone. 
but I want to play her full audio here because she's on the vaccine bus here, as it is in the state of Florida, and she describes again in a in sixteen seventeen minutes what she what she saw what she experienced with her patients, and she even feels remorse and gets choked up at one point because she's afraid that she's provided specifically the Gardasil shots to individuals in hopes that she hasn't hurt them. But she understands now that any any vaccination is a bad thing, and she's fully aware of that. And I don't think she's taken the COVID shots at all. But uh, anyway, here is her 16 to 17 minute testimony on the vaccination RV, as it were. And again, this is also from Children's Health Defense, I think is where you can also watch these videos too. But again, you don't have to subscribe to Dr. Mackis's uh, Substack in order to watch this if you if you want to visually see it. But either way, here's her audio. And ladies and gentlemen, I will catch you on Wednesday. So give this a listen in three, two, one. Right, we're live. Okay. okay. Tell us your name, please. Uh, my name is Kimberly Biss, and I am a obstetrician gynecologist that practices here in the state of Florida. And we're going to talk about pregnancy and the COVID shots. Correct. And how do you know about that? How do I know about the pregnancy? Yeah, and COVID how do you know? Before you start talking about sport qualifications or you know, research, have you done just so we can tell our viewers? Okay, so I have no research publications to my name. It's just that I have been practicing for 25 plus years. And if you include my residency training, I've probably taken care of about 8,000 pregnant women. So there are things that I'm seeing now that I've not seen in the past. And it all started when we started the COVID injections. Okay, talk us through what you're seeing and... and and educate us, please. Sure. So in November of 2021, I had a non-clinical staff member come up to me and say, Dr. Biss, you realize we've had eight miscarriages this month, and in a practice of mine that delivers 20 to 25 patients a month, having eight miscarriages is a huge number. So I started to loosely track the data, but a year ago this month, I went back to January of 2020, up till November of 2022, and I had tracked not only the miscarriages we had in our practice, but also the newly entering pregnant moms. And what I had seen was our miscarriage rates had doubled from year to year, um, and our newly registering obstetric patients had been going down from year to year. Those are people that call their newly pregnant in the first trimester. Um, and that's either a reflection of them losing their pregnancies early or infertility, which has increased since these injections. So the miscarriage rate from month to month in January of, or in the year 2020 for my practice was 4%. You will hear and read in obstetric textbooks that the normal miscarriage rate is 13 to 15%, which I've never seen clinically. Um, recent literature about four years ago actually showed that the normal miscarriage rate the first trimester is about 5 to 6%. I've not really seen that either. That's a little higher than what I've seen. But my average month-to-month -month miscarriage rate in 2020 was 4%. In 2021, it doubled to 7 to 8%, and it peaked in November of that year when my staff member brought it to my attention. And in 2022, it went up again to 15% on average month to month. In December 
of 2022, it was about uh, 27%. And in January and February of this year, it was 30%. Did not normalize back down to 4% until June of this year. And what's concerning is the majority of my patients who had received the injections, that was done in 2021 and early 2022. Very few had gotten more than three shots. So we're still seeing some lingering effects, even though it was so, you know, long ago at this point. Now, are these miscarriages at the, say, the time you would normally see a miscarriage, or are they later? Because we're hearing of later. Yes. Yeah, so the later miscarriage, like in a, early in the second trimester, would be more related to blood clotting issues. Usually people that have lupus, that's kind of what happens with them. Um, these, I have not seen a lot of those, I will be honest. It's most are in their first trimester, like about six to eight to 10 weeks. And these people have got the COVID shots at some point, either during their pregnancy or before their pregnancy. When are you seeing that? So most of them, um, it, it's hard to track that exactly. Uh, but obviously the ones I was seeing in 2022 and in this year, they hadn't even received any injections. Those were, they were, they would have been received back in 2021. So something is still going on that's allowing them to possibly have a miscarriage. I will tell you that 60 to 65% of my obstetric population got the injections. It's primarily Pfizer. It's about 70% to 30% Moderna. Um, I don't have it exactly to where everybody that I've tracked, I've known that they were vaccinated, what brand it was, because sadly in my practice, I'm the only one that asks all of my gynecology patients if they've had any injections, what type, when, have you had COVID? Because whether we like it or not, it's part of your medical history now. And if we don't have that data in their chart already and they show up with a pregnancy loss, it's hard to ask them that information then because you don't want to come off as accusatory and make them feel like they caused the loss of their baby. Or leading them. Correct. I have a question for you. You may not be able to answer this. So one of the other things we're seeing a lot of, or hearing a lot of, particularly in the military, is the mothers did not get any of the shots, but the fathers did. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing an unusual amount of miscarriages in that group as well. Have you seen anything? Do you know anything about that? I presume would mean shedding. I don't know. Yeah. So that we definitely feel that shedding is a concept because uh, a lot of women that had the menstrual disorders, they didn't all get vaccinated themselves, but they had been around other people that had been vaccinated. Um, Pfizer, if you were enrolled in the early Pfizer trials and you were a male, you were told to wear two condoms because obviously they knew something may be transmitted to the female in bodily fluids. So I don't have that ability to track all that. I don't ask my patients if their partners or husbands have been vaccinated. So, Okay, so on another subject that you may know about, we're also getting reports, and actually you first alerted me to it was another OPG when that came talk to us, two others actually, that we're seeing babies born 
from vaccinated parents, as in the COVID shot, to parents that have abnormalities. Are you seeing that or not? So I have not seen any increase in my patient population with birth defects or having any issues. I did have one very strange uh, delivery. The mom was triple uh, vaccinated with Pfizer, um, had an uneventful pregnancy, uneventful delivery. 45 minutes later, the baby crumped respiratory-wise, had to go to the NICU. They couldn't ventilate the baby. The baby actually had to go on ECMO, which for people listening is like bypass. The, the blood of the baby was being oxygenated by a machine, and then it went back into the baby. The baby survived, but there has yet to be any explanation for why any of that happened. And the baby doesn't have any genetic problem. There's no metabolic issue. It was very bizarre. That's the only weird thing as far as a baby goes that I've had. Now, I will tell you, we are seeing, and this is a reflection of um, not very healthy placentas, um, we're seeing uh, a lot more preeclampsia, which is high blood pressure in pregnancy. We're seeing a lot more low amniotic fluid volumes around the baby. So both of those conditions are making us induce or deliver uh, moms prior to when they're due. So some of them are preterm. Um, my concern is we're seeing a lot of postpartum hemorrhaging women that bleed within the first 24 hours after delivery. And the normal maneuvers we use or the medicines we use to stop the bleeding are not always working. I had to do a hysterectomy on a woman in August because we couldn't stop her bleeding. And I will tell you just for perspective, there are OBGYNs that practice their whole career having never done a hysterectomy on a woman. They just delivered their baby. It's not a commonly done procedure. So there's something going on in the uterus where it's not allowing it to contract normally. And these women are bleeding more. So it's very scary. It almost makes me scared to go and do a delivery because I'm always afraid my patient's going to bleed now. It's become that common. And my anesthesia colleagues have brought that to my attention. It's not just the obstetricians noticing this now because usually these people require surgery and the anesthesia personnel are involved. It's interesting you say that. If I spoke to a midwife, would not come on the bus, but I had to speak to her. And she said that she is uh, afraid to do home births with the COVID people and not enough people coming in to even give babies for up for adoption. So something's going on everywhere. Yeah. Well, globally, you know, the birth rate is down. Some countries are higher than others as far as how the slope is trending. Um, but I will tell you, we had many patients in 2021 and 2022 who had no problems prior. Uh, we had delivered previous babies of theirs. They had no issues getting pregnant. And now all of a sudden they're either having recurrent miscarriages or they just can't get pregnant at all. And we've had to send them to infertility and they end up getting in vitro fertilization or IVF. Um, we know that in these injections, 
the, the lipid nanoparticles, which is the fatty envelope around the messenger RNA, does not stay in your arm. The LPNs go all throughout the body. Um, through FOIA requests, Japanese researchers got the Pfizer rat trial that, that showed that. And these lipids concentrate in endocrine glands, which the testes and the ovaries are, and was most concentrated in the ovaries. Um, my concern is that this might be a multi-generational problem because when babies are developing in the womb and they're female, once they hit 20 weeks of gestation, they have all the eggs they will ever have their whole life. Men regenerate their sperm. Women do not regenerate their eggs. As a matter of fact, when a woman runs out of eggs, that's what menopause is. So if these lipid nanoparticles cross the placenta, which I'm sure they do, and they go into a female fetus's body and somehow concentrate in her ovaries, we're not going to know there's a problem until either she doesn't go through puberty or she goes through puberty, but she can't get pregnant later on in life. So trouble ahead. Trouble ahead. Maybe. <laughs> All right. So I can't let you go without asking you two questions. Number one. At Children's Health Defense, we're extremely concerned by the amount of vaccinations that pregnant women are being offered yeah. now. Um, so RSV, COVID, yes. flu, PETA, maybe a bit of Rogam, because that seems to be in these days. I don't know. Yeah. I don't mean to speak out of turn there, but sure. oh, a flu. I don't know. It goes on. It goes on. Yeah. Um, for us, that sounds like a cocktail for death. Yes. So um, I... Nobody should get this RSV injection in pregnancy because babies died in the trials. Um, Glasgow Smith Klein and Pfizer both got the same. It's not messenger RNA based platform. It's a more of a traditional where it's an antigen. Both companies got the same antigen. Glasgow Smith Klein studied it on 5,000 women. They saw more fetal deaths in the vaccinated arm as compared to the placebo, primarily due to it causing premature labor and delivery. So they halted the study and they decided to not put the product out. Pfizer took 100 women, had the same statistics, but then turned around and said, well, we can't really say anything about the deaths because the study was small. They presented all this to the FDA. They got a stamp of approval. And American College of OBGYN, CDC, chief medical officers of women's groups are now telling their people to give these injections to pregnant women. With the theory with any vaccine in a pregnant woman is that you'll give them the vaccine, they'll make antibodies which cross the baby into the baby, and then when the baby's born, the baby will have antibodies to whatever you're vaccinating the mom for, because we're always chasing antibodies. But we should all by, know by now there's much more to an immune system than just antibodies. But who knows if maybe all these flu vaccines we've been given in the past, the Tdaps, we don't know what causes preterm labor. Maybe it's those injections. <laughs> um, and I need to ask you about the HPV guard distortion yes. as well, because, um, well, this is all. Yes, I've I mean, seen that, his story. The 10-year-old girl there, we, we haven't put that story out yet because they're in court. She only died last year Aww. from one Gardasil. So my point is, is why is, this, why is it still on the market? We don't have the, the science behind it. We don't. All the claims that people say you won't get cancer, we don't have. No. That's not true. So why? Right. And people are dying. People are dying. And ovaries are being shut down. Young girls are going through menopause. This is the most injurious 
vaccine that we have on the market in my mind. Maybe related to endometriosis too. Um, and I will tell you the silver lining for me with COVID was that it opened my eyes and I've done a lot of self-reflection. And I just hope that I didn't harm anybody. But uh, yes, in the OBGYN world, Gardasil is our vaccine. And uh, knowing what I know now, it's just a shame how we were all just misled. I mean, they, Merck never proved in their trials that they prevented cancer. Um, and I see plenty of women who have abnormal pap smears that have had the series of the injections. The concern now is, is they're expanding this to everybody because HPV is associated with a lot of oral cancers. So now they're going to want everybody to get it. And they may even start giving it to babies. I mean, it's crazy. Um, cervical cancer is now on the rise. And I think I think it's because um, we stopped doing annual pap smears. Um, Kaiser was the one that did the, the big trial that, you know, in 2011 told us all we don't need to do a pap smear on everybody. I'm back to doing annual paps on all my patients. Uh, I'm not going to follow those guidelines anymore. And I haven't recommended Gardasil to anybody, I want to say, in maybe, I don't know, six years. So. And also, this thing is important to say that we were all lied to, doctors, nurses, mothers, fathers, grandparents, it's, it's all of us, we're all, we've all been lied to. There's no shame in us saying this is what happened to us. You know, medical training, sponsored by Big Pharma. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's happened to us all and we need to all stand together no matter where we are. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.